All right. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the Admin Bar. We got a really fun conversation for you today. Uh, I, I guess I have to do the normal podcaster, vodcaster type thing and introduce my guest here. But the honest truth is, uh, most people are probably seeing me for the first time as they're looking up Josh Hall, not the other way around. So hello, I'm Kyle Van Dusen. Uh, good to see you here. I somehow convinced Josh to come talk to me here today. So I'm really excited about that. But just in case there's the odd person who's seen me and hasn't seen you, why don't you give everybody a, a little bit of introduction about who you are and what you do, Josh? So funny that you have that perception, by the way, Kyle, because I felt the same way about you. I reached out for you for a while <laughs> to try to get you on the podcast. When you finally came online, I was like, I'm getting Kyle. The, you know, the, the runner or leader of the most popular group in WordPress. So the feeling is the same, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm Josh. And, um, well, now what I do is coach web designers primarily on the business side of web design. So my website is a personal brand, joshhall.co. And that's where I have all my courses and resources and a membership to, uh, to help web designers. Uh, but I did not start here. I was a web designer. I think this will come into play for this conversation. I was actually, before becoming a designer, I was a cabinet maker for a tour bus customizing shop. Okay. So I did not have a background in web design at all. And I had severe imposter syndrome. We didn't call it that back in 2009 when I got right. started, but that's what I had. So I was a cabinet maker and a drummer and uh, got laid off from my job and got into design, started with graphic design. And then naturally graphic design all leads road towards websites or all uh, roads lead towards websites. And I went from graphic design to website design and then grew a six figure business over a 10 year span. So that's what led me to start coaching. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yes. And I definitely I'll have links to everything down in the show notes here too. wherever you're watching this, you can find uh, all of Josh's links there. So you can go follow him around too. So so today we're going to be talking about kind of uh, weeding out bad fit clients. So I have I have a quite a few thoughts on this and I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this. I will I will preface this by saying uh, thankfully I'm in a position where I don't take on tons of client work right now. So I have like the luxury of being picky about clients. But even then, uh, so we have a mastermind, we have like mastermind groups. So I meet with 40 different agency owners every week. And I think one problem a lot of people have is like, the way they describe it is like being a people pleaser, right? They say, they want to say yes to everything. I am so far at the other end of that spectrum, like probably to a, a point, like a bad point. Like at some point you run a business, you got to kind of accommodate people, but I'm very much a, it's a no until you convince me it's a yes kind of person. So I probably need to be talked off the ledge the other way here. But I think what most people struggle with is just like, you know, I guess when you're first starting, you don't want to say no to opportunities because you need to pay the bills. Right. Uh, but you know, you just don't want to disappoint people and you don't want to set a bad image for your business and all those kinds of things. So it lends you to say yes to a lot of things you probably shouldn't say yes to. Unfortunately, at least in my experience, having bad fit clients, no matter how much they pay you, and I've let go of my most, my highest paying client uh, because they were a bad fit client, no matter what they pay you, a bad fit client will cost your money a ton of business. So I guess, yeah, you know, as, as we discuss this, the first place I want to start here is kind of why do you think weeding out these bad fit clients is such an important uh, responsibility as a business owner? As far as it being a responsibility, it's because it's likely what would kill your business or burn you out. I mean, you said it, Kyle, like there, there's a financial aspect where in the early days you are going to say more yeses and take more on, but very quickly you need to catch yourself as a, and I'm a pe recovering people pleaser here saying this, you've got to catch yourself and go with the, I have a book on my, my shelf back here that is, is titled hell yeah or no. And I live by that model. And I, I learned to live with that model as a web designer, because if you don't, it will, it will either lead to burnout or 
potentially, even if you're getting paid well, just leave you not liking your business and not love showing up your business. And there is nothing worse in my mind than building a web design business to have financial freedom and a lifestyle you love. And you want to wake up and love Mondays to a slew of bad fit clients or people that just you don't jive with. So for all those reasons and more, I think it's extremely important from the business side of things. And one quick thing I was thinking with this conversation, um, when I was in the band world, I did drum lessons and I got a chance to, to talk to a guy who did guitar lessons for like 20 years. It was his full-time income. And I asked him, I got a chance for him to just spend an hour with me on a phone call. And I said, Hey, what's like the hardest thing about doing guitar lessons? And he's like, Josh, you'd be surprised. He's like the hardest thing about teaching or doing any sort of service work. Isn't the actual work it's dealing with people. Like that's what will destroy you. So that lesson has always resonated with me and stuck in the back of my mind. So for all those reasons, it's it's like one of the most important things for sustainability. And it's funny, like when you have to let a client go, it's always hard. Uh, even if you're ready to let, even if you're ready to open the door and kick them out of it, it's still hard to do, you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it's definitely the relationship part of it that makes it so difficult. So I definitely have some stories here and I'm, I'm willing to share a few of them, but I want to ask you first, you have any stories of the the red flags you ignored and the problems that that caused, or uh, you know the bad paths that led you down? Have the, have the NDAs expired? Can we can we dive into that a little bit? We can, yeah, I'm good. I can talk about it anyway. I don't need to name drop. Other than no one's going to know a name anyway. But uh, I had so I had a couple that come to mind initially. One, thank God, I did not move forward with, and this is just a red flag for anybody to watch out for. But uh, when I was uh, starting due to websites, I was still in kind of the band world. And I got a lead for this guy who was a pretty popular musician. But the first two minutes of our phone call was like, I just have a gut feeling that I am not going to like working with this guy. And he was blaming other web designers for his issues. He was blaming the industry for his lack of sales and blame, blame, blame. And I just left that conversation like, oh, I don't want to work with this guy, but I felt like I had to mm. early on because I wasn't making that much. I wasn't established, but, um, the producer of our band knew him. And, and I told him, I was like, what do you think about this guy? And he's like, Josh, you don't have to work with him. And that was freeing to me. And that gave me a little bit of confidence to say like, you know what? I don't need this, especially even though I'm early on, I can get five clients who would pay me as much and it'd be amazing. And of course, we're all, we're all about maintenance plans. I can get recurring income from those. So that was one really important lesson early on that I would share for anyone, like trust your gut. If I give any advice initially, trust your gut because it's going to be right 99.9% .9 of the time. Um, but I did have one client who I had for years who was questionable at first, but over the years became a bit of a, it was kind of like a power, power struggle with him. Um, he ended up using me essentially as like his taskmaster. And he referred me to a lot of clients, which was, was cool in some ways. But one problem I discovered was that he was an auctioneer. And uh, if anyone's worked with auctioneers, you can probably guess what happens when you work with auctioneers. Uh, Personality wise, they are cheap. And <laughs> they, they want the like, all right, sold a website for $1,000. That's probably could have how, how I could have sold to them. Um, they would probably would have loved it. But the problem was I had a questionable client who kind of abused his, his power with me when I was coming up. And then he was giving me referrals to that same type of personality type. So even you know, another dangerous lesson I learned is beware if you take on a bad client they're going to refer you likely to a lot of other bad fitting clients. So um, what I did with him is I did not fire him, but I did raise my rates and I became kind of, 
uh, just not myself. I was, I wasn't mean, but I was a little more cold. I stopped answering all of his phone calls and I, like I set boundaries is basically what I did. And then eventually he kind of started to do things on his own. And then we were still doing basic maintenance for him, but because my rates had, had got to a certain level, he basically just kind of stopped working with me and it was a great day. So I kind of, yeah. I didn't fire him. I basically like smoked him out. Sure. And you know, the, the, the birds of a feather thing is very true. Bad clients will give you more bad clients and that's not a path you want to go down. But you know, my biggest story and then the one I kind of alluded to a second ago about having to let go of one of my biggest clients, it, it was the boundary thing. So this was a client that like they wanted, we got along pretty well in the beginning and they wanted to be kind of buddy, buddy on things. And that's fine. I like to enjoy the people I work with and all that. But then he was like, you know, let me get your cell phone number uh, so I can, you know, call you about such and such on a Saturday or something I'm like, hmm, don't feel great about this. And it was just like all of these little things where he was kind of pushing the boundaries. And I finally kind of had to, you know, get the backbone and push back against a little bit. And I set some ground rules and we had a conversation about how things were going to have to work going forward, that that wasn't going to work for me. And it was no matter what I did, he just kept pushing him, kept pushing. And he would send really nice gifts. He wanted to know my, my home address, which was another boundary that I didn't want to cross either. I ended up giving him like a PO box or whatever. And he started sending like expensive gifts, you know, $200 bottles of wine to my house. I don't drink. So it was kind of useless. Uh, but it was definitely like, he was doing these things to try to have favor with me, you know? Yeah, and I finally right. just decided like all, you know, the gifts and stuff sound nice, but in between all that was like crazy demands and uh, turnaround times and, you know, uh, really going over the scope of projects and all that. And I finally just gave up one day and just told him like, Hey, I cannot do this anymore. Here's some people that might be able to help you. You know, I gave him my list of worst enemies as people he could go talk to. <laughs> and, and you uh, know, this is interesting, Kyle, because like it, it's tough to know that somebody's going to be like that early on. I mean, I don't know your first few interactions if you had a gut feeling. Like when I met that that musician dude who I had an immediate gut feeling, it was a fairly easy no, um, especially even early on. But there are some clients like the auctioneer guy. I didn't really know he was going to be like that until we, we moved forward. So this is why I think it's so, 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 so important that you put in your contract and your onboarding material or even weed out material, I have, I, I can talk about my funneling process is to set your boundaries very clear up front. So they don't even like, it's not an issue that you have to tell them to not call you on Saturdays or not have your text, your, right. your number to text you or not have your personal address, like set the boundaries up front. And then that will weed out the people who are those problem kind of clients who either have a bit of a power issue, or they just, yeah, they want to abuse your time and 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 don't really understand your value. Yeah, the, uh, red flag clients come in many forms for sure. So I guess yeah, I mean I think that's what people are here for. They're they're here to find out kind of what are those processes in your funnel that you use to qualify clients. I think one of the the big thing is, and what you said right there is qualify clients. Here's something I've stumbled on more recently. And that it's a mindset thing, which is, and I'm sure you get this question a lot. I know I see it in admin bar. Most web designers at any stage ask, where do I find, do you want to finish that for me, Kyle? Where do I find high paying clients, <laughs> clients, where do I find yeah. clients? But the thing is you do not find clients. And this is a huge mindset shift I had. You find leads, you find people who might be a, a client, but they, you don't treat them as a client before they pay you something. And before they're in the onboarding process, this mindset for me was huge because it, it opened up and, and made sales feel less daunting. And when it came to like um, 
kind of whittling out bad fit clients and weeding them out, I didn't view them all as clients. I viewed them all as people and leads. And there are some people and leads who are qualified and can come through the onboarding process or the funneling process to become a client. Then there's people who are like, you're questionable. I don't know. And not even just budget wise, but personality wise, project fit wise. So it's a really important thing I've found to have that mindset of you do not go out to find clients. You, you find leads, you find people, but you got to have a process to funnel them as in my, my framework is that they're either questionable and they need a different process or they're qualified. They're like a really good lead established business personality that you just drive with. Maybe it's a referral from one of your really good clients. And they're like, listen, you know, Jim is awesome. He really wants to work with you. And you're like, okay, yeah, let's go right to it. Let's get to the discovery call and proposal. So that's, that's the start of my framework. I'm happy to expand on that. But I think that idea of, of questionable versus qualified is huge. That's what I learned. Yeah. And I wonder like for people that have are, you know, for agency owners that are at the beginning of this journey are still trying to establish their business. Like how do, how does these qualification metrics work? Are you literally writing down on a piece of paper? Here's all the things I want in a client. Here's the things I don't want in a client. Like how would somebody go about figuring out? I ask this because your qualification process is probably different than mine. We might want yeah. different things out of clients. So how do you actually establish the, the qualifications you want for clients? Yeah, you could definitely do that if you have a niche or a few niches that you typically work with. Like you could have a uh, an ideal customer avatar and then you know like maybe the type of business they're in, the type of personality they are. Now, personalities are going to vary even in the same business. Some people are going to be organized. Some people will not be. But you could definitely do that. That's going to be a great place to start if you know your ideal client. If you don't, and if you're like me, I was a generalist. Uh, so I worked with everybody, but I did work with primarily established small to medium-sized businesses. So I was not an enterprise agency. Like I wasn't a good fit for, for big projects. I wasn't a good fit for like the mom and Paul startups once I got established. So my, my perfect fit was small to medium-sized businesses, but I did not have an exact like metric to measure or to, to weed them out. Mine was very much an organic, like gut feeling. Mm. Um, I learned that I could generally smoke somebody out within the first two sentences of an email. If they were saying like, I've talked to a bunch of web designers, I'm trying to find an affordable deal. You find like these catch terms like yeah. affordable, or uh, if they have seemed to be complaining about a lot of different designers. Now, sometimes that's valid and they could come to you, but you look for those keywords of people who are like, mm, like these red flag, keywords like affordable or like urgent if there's a bad urgency if there's scope in a short amount of time if they're if they're not seeming respectful of the work that you might have currently all those things can be red flags um and that's pretty much how i identified questionable versus qualified if i get any of those i would say okay what essentially what my process is kyle is is when i get any lead if i think they're qualified which is a little more rare that's probably like maybe 25% of leads are going to be qualified. We'll go right into like a, a discovery call or an email. Like I'll email them and get some ideas of the scope of their project. And then we'll go to the quote process. If they're questionable, I have what's called a potential client page. I think we talked about this when you were on my, my uh, podcast where you have your pricing, like your average price amount. I think it's a great way to go on some sort of page that is basically a weed out page. Mm -hmm. It can almost be a different version of, of your homepage, but it's, it is very clear to weed out the people who are not going to be a good fit. So you could get into the boundary thing. You could get into timeline, scope of projects, and most importantly, price ranges. Cause I don't recommend having prices upfront on your website. 
But for a potential client page that's hidden, that's what I send to all questionable leads. And then they see the price ranges. And if they're like, oh my gosh, Josh starts at 2,500. I was thinking like 500 bucks. They're not even coming through the contact form. So yeah. as long as they're cool with the ranges from 2,500 to 10K plus, we're good. We can start a conversation that usually weeds out at least the tire kickers. Now there's more personality things that can come into play as far as being bad fit. But I found that honestly budget probably 75% of the time budget is going to weed out most of the difficult personality types because they want something cheap and done now. So that's yeah. my process in a nutshell. Yeah. I think anytime you can get clients to self-qualify that man, that helps out a lot. That, that eases up your time. You don't have to invest a bunch of time in them. When, when people go to my site and see where my project average price range is, and it's not within their budget. And I totally understand yeah. if it's not, then they don't have to bother me and I don't have to bother them. And we don't have to do this whole song and dance for nothing and for nobody, you know, so self-qualify two lovely words, but there's one level back to that. I still love the idea of having everyone come through a contact form mm -hmm. and you personally following up to the potential client page if they're questionable. Cause that still gives them like a personal touch for if they do end up moving forward. Cause you could self-qualify by having like the, the classic, what is your budget for your project? And a lot of people would just never even contact you. But I wasn't getting like that many leads. I got to the point where I was more concerned about, you know, recurring income with my current clients and doing projects for them. So you do get to a point where, and most web designers, you don't need that many leads to build a nice six-figure business. So uh, I liked personally, everyone come through the contact form and then per, like it was a template. It was just an email template that I had and I would customize it if need be. But if they were questionable, yeah, I'm like, hey, you know, hey, Bob, great to meet you. Um, I just want to let you know, uh, we have some information about where our projects start at. Here's the page. Please review this. And if this looks good, we'll move forward to a discovery call and a quote. So, yeah. I mean, that honestly, man, it, I, it don't, I didn't think that was anything special until later on when I realized like everyone was having these problems with weeding people out. And I really found a pretty nice sweet spot with that. I mean, inevitably you'll have a few leak through, but uh, overall that process helped me dramatically. And by that time I had a referral network with my clients like I said earlier, good clients often know good clients, uh, bad clients often know other bad clients. And that's really how I, for the most part, had amazing clientele through and through. Yeah. I think that process part of it's so important. Like no matter if somebody refers, you know, a neighbor gets referred to me outside, you know, when I'm hanging out with the kids or uh, a phone call or an email or whatever it may be, I always put people through the form first. Like everybody needs to go through the same front door so I can qualify things out the same way. And for me, there's two questions in my form that I think have done the best job of like that you mentioned, like knowing in the first two sentences of an email, I can usually tell pretty well too. The two questions that I use that are, that have been really helpful to me is like, why is right now the or why is now the best time to get started? Like, why are you starting this project right now? And it's mm. open-ended enough that they'll have to explain why this is important to them right now. You can see a lot of tire kicker type things right there, or people that are just very unsure, like they're not far enough in the process to really get started on a project. And the other one is, why did you reach out to me specifically? Like, why me over the my competitor down the street or mm. Josh's agency or somebody else from the admin bar, you know, like why specifically did you reach out to me? And a lot of times if it's just like, you know, I Googled local web designer, 
they're probably not going to spend a whole lot of money on a local web designer. They just want to find somebody, you know, that they can look over their shoulder or whatever it may be. But then I get some people that say, you know, obviously my, my agency is more focused around creating content and things. So say, Hey, I've been watching your YouTube channel. I've been following your tutorials. Like I got stuck. I need some help. Like those people are so qualified at that point. It's really easy. So those two questions yeah. for me have been pretty huge. That's gold. Yeah. I love that. I mean, there's probably a number of different questions you could put on an intake form to, to help qualify it. And again, it may be dependent on the type of clients you serve, if there are certain industries or whatever it is. The other side of this too, that I think is really important is you could technically weed a lot of people out, at least the tire kickers with a higher price point. But a lot of people I've found, not all, but I guess some people who pay a high price point feel like now they're entitled to use you because they're paying you $10,000. So they're, they're like, I should be able to call you on a Saturday. So that's where like you, you could almost take a level back. And again, I don't have an exact process for this part, but it was more of a gut feeling with personality and how organized they are and what the mission is and what they're up to is like, when you're in a discovery call, that's where it becomes really important to trust your gut. And, and a, lot, a lot of that comes with experience, but even early on, for anyone early on, you could get a feel for the scope of the project. And as long as they know your boundaries, if you haven't covered it at that point, you know, before they, during the quote process, and they, they get the boundaries there before signing off, that should hopefully alleviate some of that. Because I don't know if you found some of that, but I found that some of my high paying clients did feel slightly entitled that, you know, well, I paid you 15 grand. You're my friend now, right? It's like, no, right. still, still a client. I appreciate that, but we're still, we're, you're still a client. That's right. All right. So what happens? You're, you're on the discovery call and you realize, okay, I'm going to listen to my gut. This does not feel good. This client, this prospect is not a good fit for me. How do you handle that? What do you say to them? What do you do to help them find the right people? Or do you go to those links? Like what happens next when somebody's not a good fit? That's a great question. I, they were, I don't remember ever really talking somebody off ledge on the phone. Like, I don't remember saying like, listen, we're not a good fit, but because that can, especially if it's in person, it's like, well, now this is awkward. Yeah. Uh, when I have a drink, just let you off. Like <laughs> what I would say is if it gets to a point where pretty quickly, you know, it's not a good fit, do not keep the call going end it really quickly and just, okay, this gives me enough information. Let me think about this because you know, you could even say like, we're, we're, we're looking at onboarding for the next month or whatever it is. And then that's when I would take the opportunity to say like, Hey, you know, we, we reviewed the project and look at the details, but honestly, I just, I feel like we're not the best fit for you right now. And this isn't the type of project that's the best fit for us. And it's as simple as that. And then always, like you said, always, always, always give them recommendations. Hmm. There should be plenty of web designers. I mean, if you're in the admin bar, there you go. If you're in my community there, there you go. There's plenty of web designers. You can refer people. Although we don't, we don't want to refer bad clients to other web designer friends. So don't do that. But just, yeah, look at your competitors and then give them their information to say, yeah, like, here, you just have a template. There's, yeah. there, there's very few bad clients. There's just like, they're not good for me, you know? Yeah, so what might yeah. not be good for me might be great for somebody else. So obviously if they're like, um, you know, don't refer ser serial killers out to your friends, yeah. but you can definitely find somebody that maybe, maybe they're just starting out and they don't mind the low budgets and things like yep. that. So I, yeah, I so agree. quick I like answer, it. not, don't do it on the phone. It's really awkward. It could, it could really not damage your reputation, but that could spread. They could say like, yeah, Josh was a freaking jerk. He just said he wouldn't work with me. Uh, I don't feel the need to do that. I would just in the call quick and then follow up with the, with the template. That's like, we're just not a good fit. Um, see you later kind of thing, but here's some options. All right. So that's a, uh, that's good advice there. What happens though, if we, 
we missed all those warning signs. We took the client on, we got in the middle of the project or we signed them on to recurring revenue through a care plan or SEO or whatever it may be. And you realize like the story I shared with you, like I can't take this anymore. What are your recommendations in situations like that? In my mind, there's two ways to go. You could do what I did with the auctioneer, which is to just kind of smoke them out from there, raise your rates, make it to the point where like, if you're, if I'm going to put up with them, it, it's really going to be worth it. If it's at the point where like, I cannot bear them, that's where it's in the relationship time, which is tricky, especially if you're in the middle of a project. Actually, this is just, just happened to one of my students in my community, Web Designer Pro. She signed on with this, this client and it just became a point where he was just not happy with anything. And no matter what she did, he was just not happy. And then he started asking about like refunds and stuff like this. They already six months into, I think she did a subscription model for this website. It was like six months into an 18 months deal, 18 month deal. And the, the, basically the resolution that they got to was that what he paid for was already done. And that was already income for her, but what was left basically ended. So the contract was ended. I think she did end up refunding a few hours of something that wasn't completely done for that month. Um, but basically, yeah, it was, it was ended from there. So you could put some, you could put some precautions in your contract that would protect both parties. This is important too, because I mean, you know, with service work and creative work, I do understand sometimes where clients work with somebody and the designer is just not doing it. It's not a good fit. And if you pay 10 grand for a website, it's like, I would feel bad making somebody pay 10 grand if, if they're not happy with my work, but I would not feel bad if they're being really difficult and they're not, no one's pleased with their work uh, or, or they're not pleased with, pleased with anybody's work. So that's really my, in my mind, the, the two options to go. I mean, I'm open to hear about if you think there's another option, but it's really, I would not refund anything completely, but this is also why I generally recommend doing half upfront, half upon completion uh, to where that deposit is non-refundable, but the rest of it, you could, you could take what we did. And in some cases, if it's a month of work or two months of work, then they're, they're welcome to take that. Even if they want to go to another designer, you can say like, listen, no problem. I know, you know, whatever, but you can have what I did. Here's the website. Here's the files. Here's the graphics I created. Um, we'll just cut it out from there. We'll, can, we'll, we'll, it's, it's kind of a loss on both ends basically, but at least there was progress made that they did pay for. I don't really know of another way to go unless you were to refund. I would not refund again, especially if you're doing work. So. I don't yeah. know of another way to go. I, I, I don't I don't advocate for refunding, but I've done it. And I did it actually this year for a project. It was kind of through a weird referral deal and the price wasn't quite what I would have charged, but I took it on anyways. And so they gave me a, a $2,000 deposit on the project and we got a couple weeks into the project and it was just not going well. The people were really mm -hmm. nice and I just came in the project kind of in the middle of it and got thrown in and it just wasn't working good. And I was just really upfront with them and said, Hey, listen, I don't think this is working. I could tell they felt a little frustrated about how things were going. So I just tried to be really open and honest with it. And I said, listen, I know I put some time into this, but for me, I'm just going to return all the money. Uh, you know, I'm going to refund your deposit here and we can both go on our way. I didn't really want to do that. Obviously it's, it's a, a bit of a place of privilege to be able to do that and for it not to eat my lunch. But for yeah. me, it was such a weight off my shoulders, like the, the mental health aspect of it. Like, okay, I was dreading this so much that I'd rather have, 
I'd rather be $2,000 lighter and feel okay about myself than keep going on with this project, you know? And so. that, and that is fine. Like I, I would advise anyone to take that approach if it isn't going to hurt you, or if you're not too far into the project, that's where like a couple of weeks in, depending on how many hours you had, like you said, you were in a privileged spot to be able to do that. And as long as you, as long as it is a, a net win, a net positive for you, like it's worth it to yeah. not have that 2k to open up your your bandwidth and yes i would go for it in the case of my student who was six months in that's where like no we're not doing it yeah. we're not doing a, a refund after 100 hours or whatever she had in there uh, but you can always you know do the rest of it. i did something similar it wasn't with clients but i actually um wpmu dev paid me to create some tutorials for them and i just i, I took the money and was going to do it but i was like i just don't have the bandwidth right now and i so i told them i was like they were it, they were great people, but it just wasn't a good fit for me where I was at. So I just refunded them. It was the yeah. same thing. It was like two weeks. I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. I just, I'm not able to fulfill this uh, right now. So sent the money back. Uh, so yeah, I would I'd advise that as long as it's, it's, you know, not detrimental to you and not going to weigh yeah. you down. Some way. Best bet is to make sure you have provisions for all this in your contract and then follow mm -hmm. whatever those provisions are. And then it's real clean and you don't have to worry about the the feelings and stuff getting in the way. And by the way, if you do have a detrimental experience, that is the the framework for what you put in your contract. Because like I, I know you have contract resources. I have the contract. I have my contract in my business course. And what I always tell my students is this is what I did. This is the the foundation. But add to this as you will. If you have a if you have something that happened, you can add that in your contract and then you never have to have that happen again. That's the beauty about taking a bad experience and making it yeah provision. My contract has grown longer and longer as I just <laughs> they get bigger and bigger. I never right? want to happen again. So I, I think a lot of this comes back down to, I guess, setting boundaries and managing expectations. Those are two like really important things as you're dealing with people. You you talked about earlier, kind of the hard part of this is dealing with the people. So how what kinds of things do you do or do you recommend people do to be proactive about setting boundaries up front, managing expectations, and kind of steering the ship? rather than letting the client take control? Honestly, most of it we, we've covered. You could do that with a potential client page. It could be in your contract before they sign on. Plus, if you have it in your contract, it's in writing and they signed it. So it's like, listen, you cannot call me on Saturday or I'm not going to respond to you on a Saturday. It's in the contract. Those are honestly the big things. What you can do is also you could do a little more in the onboarding stage. Like I have a thing and I still use Basecamp when I onboard clients in Basecamp, there's a little more like the, the boundaries, things might be a little more detailed uh, because it's per project and per deadline basis. But most of that you should be able to put right out there on a potential client page, uh, get, get the quote for like a get a quote style situation. You could have it in there as well. Um, I mean, that's really it. And thing is, yeah, you don't want to like overload somebody with too much information, but from what we've talked about, you could pretty much put all that in a potential client page in an intake form or in a quote, some, some sort of quote with like the disclaimers or the FAQ. FAQs are also a really good option to, to put those in there because FAQs could be on the front page of your site if you want, and it could be on your services page and it could be on your quote. And it can be on your potential client page. Just hit them all the time with your expectations and boundaries. Uh, and listen, people respect boundaries. They really do. Like you might get a bad egg every once in a while. That's like, this is ridiculous. I should be able to call you on a Friday night when you're eating dinner with your family. Um, but nine times out of 10, you're going to get clients who are like, oh, yeah, I understand that. And, and honestly, a lot of this I've learned as a web designer is 
most of the boundary and expectation problems with clients are your own fault because you never set the expectations and the boundaries. So we have to put some ownership on ourselves as web designers to let clients know, like, here's how we do this. I have a, a whole lesson about, about collecting content, which I know is every web designer's favorite aspect of web design. And one of the big points in there is, is expectation for sure. Educating the clients how to send the content. And then you have to empower them with like, here's what to do. Here are the resources. If you don't set these expectations and boundaries, it's not your client's fault that they're calling you on a Friday night. It really isn't like they don't know. Um, so you got to set those expectations. And again, most clients are understandable, but. Yeah, I think setting them is important. Obviously one, one thing I've talked with people about doing is, and I know I've talked about this in our group. It's like, if, if you feel uncomfortable, just you making rules, I like to lean on the it's company policy, you know, it kind of yeah, yeah. moves you from being the bad guy in the situation. Like it's company policy. We don't buy domains for our clients. It's not because I don't want to buy one for you and, and deal with the hassle of you being a complete pain in the ass later. It's just company policy. I can't help it. You know, so that's one this that's is, definitely been been helpful for me. I love that terminology because you do have to separate your personal self from your business. Even yeah. if you are a personal brand freelancer, you are not your business. It is so, I love you that you said that Kyle, it's so important to separate personal from business. And it doesn't mean that you can't show up real and authentic and cool and nice in your business, but there's boundaries, there's yeah. policies, there's things in place that is business. It's like, look, I know that's my name. I know it's my business. I know I do all the work, but it's, these are the policies that, that we stick to. Plus, if you make those policies a template, you don't need to think about what to say when somebody breaks the boundaries. You just copy and paste from your contract or just point them like, you know, this was covered in the in the FAQ section or the get a quote. Um, these are our bound, these are, you know, how we and when we communicate, how we operate. Uh, so we just need to make sure we stick in that so that we can get the project done on time. This is to to help you as well. It's a benefit for your clients to stick with your process as a web designer. Yeah. I, th I think the place where I've gotten in the most trouble is like, you know, uh, you make the rules so you can, you can break the rules or bend the rules if you want. You're, you're the business owner. So I've gotten myself in trouble when I said, oh, you know, well, I typically don't like to do this, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it this one time for this client, you know? And it seems like every time I do that, it ends up coming to bite me back in the butt eventually, you know? So for yeah. me, it's like, I have to remind myself there's there's a reason I put these rules and these policies in place in the first place. And as soon as I bend on any of them, it's like the floodgates open and the clients don't have to respect anything anymore, you know, because you said, oh, you said, I'm not going to give you my cell phone number, but you gave me your cell phone number. Now I'm just going to be at your house all the time. You know? <laughs> right. It's like uh, they can they can smell it on you as soon as you give in a little bit. So, yeah. And, you know, something I was just thinking about, too, it's a little bit change it, change the subject, but um one thing I have found too, is that even though a client could be a really good personality fit, good on budget, what can shift is when something doesn't go right during the project, they can become a bad fit client if they're unhappy or defensive, uh, like the example of my student with her client. But I had a situation one time where uh, it was a, it was actually a really good client. They found me with one of my Divi tutorials and they want to hire me to build their website. It was like a $4,000 project. So good, healthy budget, good client. And we did the first initial design and they just disappeared like two months, no email. I followed up every week for a while, nothing completely disappeared. I was ready to, to take the 50 deposit and run, not run, but just call it what it was. And then they reached out and she was so nervous and she was like, I just, we don't like it. And I don't know how to tell, like, I'm nervous that we're going to 
cause a rift or something. And I told her, I was like, Oh, don't feel like that at all. Like if you don't like it, that's no problem. This is, you know, this is a bit of a different style project and, and didn't quite know what she was looking for. So it's fine. Let me know. So I learned when I do website previews to, to alleviate that is to let clients know I am open to all your feedback. I want to hear what you really feel about this. And that really, that helped me every project from there to give clients an, uh, like a, a open place and like a comfortable place mm -hmm. to say what they really felt. Cause yeah, that can, that can turn somebody sour if they're like, suddenly they just felt like they went ahead and went with it. And then now suddenly they're breaking boundaries and their tone changes. I'm sure you've had that happen at some point where like the tone changes halfway through a project. Um, so another little lesson I learned, get like, give clients room to, to give you real feedback. It'll really, it pays off in the long run. Yeah. That, that just openness and transparency on things just goes a long ways too. And I think just naturally people probably have defenses when they hire us one it could be they don't understand a lot about what we do so they're a little bit nervous about taking this project on because they don't really understand they don't know what's good or what's bad or what's normal and what's not normal so i think that makes people put up you know a little bit of walls when they do it the other is our our industry doesn't have the best reputation in the world right. uh, and perhaps they were burnt by web developers of the past and you kind of have to carry that baggage now going into this new project so there's a lot of different reasons why clients might come into the the whole process a little bit skeptical right so we yeah. also have to think you know we could be red flag web developers too, just as much as they could be red, <laughs> right. red flag clients, you know? So I think by being transparent and talking about your process and, uh, t you know, soliciting feedback, like you were just saying, like, hey, I want to know exactly what you think about this. Like I said, processes, showing them the steps we're going to take and all that. All those things go a long way to like them putting their guard down and you being able to kind of break through those things and be able to have real conversations where, you know, uh, yeah. you actually make some progress. That's, that's so it's, huge. It's kind of funny. It reminds me when I did logo design that kind of led to web design, I had a situation that was opposite. He reached, he was a blue collar dude. I still see the logo on vans all over Columbus. Uh, cause I made this logo for this mechanical company and he went through my contact form and it, all he said was how much for a logo question mark. So right off the bat, we got somebody who's probably busy, blue collar dude, no fluff, no personality, wants a logo, wants to be done. So I went ahead and moved forward with it. And, uh, for back then, I think I paid, I think I charged a thousand dollars for me back then. It was like, Holy crap, a thousand dollars for a logo. So I went with the first round of logo ideas. He came back and destroyed me. He was like, he's like, Josh, if I wanted to, to have a clip art logo, I would have done it myself. And I slept on it. Thank God. Cause I had written out this nasty email biting back and fighting back on it. And then, and even in my younger age, then I was like, I don't think this is going to end well. Like, how is this going to go from here? So I, I slept on it and decided to kind of take the high road and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm sorry we missed the mark on this one. What did you have in mind? Can you give me more examples of what you're looking for? He gave me this terrible, simple logo idea. I basically ripped that off and sent it back to him with his name and everything. And he loved it. And he paid me the next day was like, you're so amazing, Josh. I really appreciate it. It was like, I don't know if he was bipolar or it's a, it's a good reminder that, some people, particularly on email, uh, can just come across wrong. They may not mean to, or they, they may mean to, or they're just really brief. Sometimes brevity can come across like a, like arrogance or kind of like a jerk. So yeah. I learned from that lesson that like, yeah, try to get the ideas up front if you can, as far as what they're looking for. And if they do come back nasty, don't respond nasty. Take the high road, 
Uh, and that's what paid off for me in that circumstance. Yeah, I think sleeping on it's a really good idea. That's hard to do sometimes, but that's really smart. Anytime, anytime you feel the blood pressure rising, probably best to snooze that email till can, tomorrow and try. Can again. you imagine? Because that dude was already in defensive mode. So if you pour gas on the fire when they're in defensive mode, then you really got a bad client. Then you got a terrible situation. Uh, but if you're cool, and and again, it's kind of separating personal from business. It's like, all right, he doesn't not like me personally. He just didn't like the work. That's business. So no big deal. We'll figure something out. Absolutely. All right. Well, as we get kind of close to wrapping this this conversation up, I want to ask you this and see if you can help some of the people listening. I think there's probably, if you've made it this far in the call, there's probably two camps of people as my guess, or these are the biggest camps. One is they're just getting started out and they don't have processes for all of this in place. And the other is saying, oh my God, everything y'all are saying is all the stuff I've been doing wrong this whole time. I'm going to throw my hands up and start over, right? So obviously Rome wasn't built in a day. Your process isn't going to be perfect after listening to one podcast episode. But if you were to give people, you know, three or four tips, like, hey, go do these things right away first, and you're going to be much better off than you are now. What do you think those, those best starting points are? I would start with a potential client page because from there you can get into the weeds with the boundaries, the contracts, every, all the little nitty gritty things we talked about, but you can very, very easily have a potential client page and you could call that whatever you want. Some of my students call it a good fit page, or are we going to work together? You know, whatever you creatively you want to say, but on there, if you don't have your pricing on your website, that's where you can have your price ranges at least. So they see where your range is. And my recommendation for pricing is to always say starting at, so you don't box yourself in. So have your ranges on your potential client page and every lead that is questionable goes there. There's your policy. There's your company policy. That way you don't need to spend an hour and a half on a discovery call and you're like, oh God, five minutes in, I knew this wasn't a good fit you can get them to the potential client page first. That's my first recommendation because there, from there, then you can tweak it and, and, and you know, go from there. Um, but that really is kind of, that's what worked for me personally. There's a lot of different ways to go about it, but um, that way when those really good leads come through, go, go for it, do a discovery call, go meet them at a coffee shop, get the quote going. If they want to pay you 10 grand this week, by golly, get that quote out, do it, let's rock. But if you're like, I'm just not sure, potential client page, baby. That's the, that's the alleviator for that. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier, like trusting your gut and that's, it's a, it's, I think it's excellent advice. I'm very much a gut feel person. So I, I lean into that very much. I know some people feel like, uh, what do you mean? Just tell me what to do. Tell me the answer. I don't know. But I honestly think that's, that's why I love this business as much as I do, because we don't have to fit in some kind of box of like, this is how you have to behave as a web developer. This is how your business has to be structured. You really get to decide all these things. Uh, there are some people with scarcity mindset out there, but there's such an abundance of potential projects out there. Uh, and there's plenty of work for you to go out there and do this the way you want to do it. So for me, it was very much like, okay, here's how I want to work and who's, you know, these are the people who I want to work with. And this is how I want the process to go. And let me just let me just design things around that. So I definitely want to, you know, empower people. Go go do it the way that makes sense for you. And work work within some kind of framework, but you yeah. don't have to do Josh's procedure and you don't have to do my procedure. You have to do your procedure. You know, you have to figure out what works best for you. If I could just give a quick tip on weeding out from like an email and trusting your gut, just remember 
if somebody emails you and they're nice and concise and there's good punctuation and, and it's organized, chances are if they move forward, they'll be organized and concise with their communication and, and content collection. If somebody is scattered and they sent you a three page email and there's red flags about affordability and questions and bad experiences, I'm guessing, and I've experienced, that's not gonna change when they pay you. They're not gonna suddenly become a super nice, organized, concise person who respects that. So just know whatever the tone or feel of that initial email, if it is a contact form intake, that is what's going to carry through. So heads up on that when it comes to trusting your gut. There is a correlation between the people who take six months to give you the content and the people who show up 10 minutes late to a Zoom call. Those are the same people, I promise you. So yeah. if they show up late to that first meeting, they're going to be late for everything. I can absolutely Great. promise you <laughs> Great that. point. Yeah. Great point. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us today. I'm sure this won't be the last time we're doing it. And like I said, uh, I'll put links to everything down in the description so people can go find you. But I know you got courses, you got a community, you got a podcast, all kinds of things. Why don't you give the shout outs to everything here so people know what what to go look for? Joshhall.co is my website that will link you out to everything. My podcast is called the Web Design Business Podcast. Uh, Kyle, you on recently. I actually just interviewed yesterday, Abby, Abby Wood, uh, talking content strategy. So I don't know when this comes out, but that episode might be live. Uh, so yeah, my, my podcast is available for everybody. Yeah, joshhall.co will have all the links to my resources for my courses. And then I do have a, a membership called Web Designer Pro. That's kind of the next best step after my courses, or if you've been through a few courses and you're like, all right, let's go. I want to go pro. And that's where I do like personal coaching and everything. So those are available. I do have a YouTube channel and tons. I mean, 90% of my content is free. So uh, you can find me on YouTube as well. Just go to joshhall.co. That's got everything there. There you go. And, and oh, if you're- and I, almost, I almost forgot. I set up a link for your audience. You can go to joshhall.co slash tab, T-A-B, uh, and there'll be a little gift for anyone Ooh, nice. who comes to this interview. If, if you do want to join any of my courses or anything like that, there'll be a little, uh, a little gift for all tabbers there. So joshhall.co like slash tab. I like it. Perfect. Nice. And, and Josh is also inside the admin bar community. So you can find him in there answering questions. I appreciate all the help you've been uh, giving to people inside that group. You can always tag them inside there too. So yeah, I'm mostly a creeper, but I, every once in a while, I'm like, I got to get in this one. This is a good question. I got sometimes you can't help it. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone from upstairs on my phone. I'm like, I can't answer this on my phone. I got to come downstairs to the keyboard and really answer this question. Yeah. Or I'll save it. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I get it. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. So, thank you guys so much for joining us here today and uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. All right. Awesome. Bye-bye. Thanks, Kyle.